Peggy's going to read to you a passage of Scripture that continues sort of what I've been walking through in, in uh, this summer in the book of Acts. It's how the church expanded. And in your bulletin, it's no way you're pulling to it now, there is a printed um, printing of, of this Scripture passage. I'm going to ask you all, if you would, to take it out and look at it. And then even more, I'm going to ask you if you could keep it out. Because there will be a couple moments in this message, I'm going to actually have us pause and ask you to write something down in those lines underneath the Scripture. Okay, so now it's probably a good time to grab a pencil or pen or whatever and uh, have that in front of you. But uh, not, not only read the Word, but hear the Word as Peggy shares it with us from, uh, from Acts. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go over to this chariot and join it. Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, Do you understand what you are reading? He replied, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Peggy. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? We ask you, Lord, to be so present to us in this moment that before we breathe in or breathe out, we are aware of the depth of your life and love within us. Help us encounter you, spend time with you, be blessed by you, be challenged by you, be held by you today. And do not let anything prevent that from happening. And if the words of my mouth 
and the thoughts of our hearts and minds can help us accomplish those things, then, Lord, bless them even more. For all of this, we surrender to you in the name of Christ. Amen. What story is occupying your heart and mind today? We live in a world that is driven by stories. The stories we think about, the stories we focus on, and the ones that define us. What story is occupying your heart and mind today? In Charlottesville, Virginia this weekend, there are people clashing because they have different stories in their heart and mind. Some of those stories are twisted and full of hate. They're stories that proclaim to honor an earlier time and to protect the memory of historical figures. But that's a lie. They came not to remember They came committed to carry the worst of the past into the present. So their hate and twisted stories could intimidate and terrorize. They came with one thing in their heart. To destroy destroy what is at the core of our country and our hope and our future where all will one day be counted fully as equal. When I was a graduate student at Duke University, I was working in Perkins Library in the stacks. I would do research there and pull materials out as people requested it for their research. And one day when I had some free time, I was going through the stacks and I was looking at material and I opened up a box and there in front of me were handwritten, obviously handwritten letters by General Robert E. Lee back to his family during the Civil War. As a historian and as a Civil War buff since I was in eighth grade, uh, since I was eight years old, I, I was enraptured. I thought about him writing on that piece of paper the words I was reading as he wrote to his wife about the conditions of the food in the camp during the Civil War. I felt I had found the most exciting thing I would ever see in opening up a box, and I treasured the time I spent reading those materials. I was glad to read his writing. I knew Robert, General Robert E. Lee to be a brilliant man. I knew he was compassionate and that he was a man committed to causes bigger than his own life. I respected and respect him as a historical figure. But as excited as I was to read his letters, there was nothing that made me think the causes to which he was committed in their worst manifestations should ever exist anywhere upon the face of this earth ever again, especially in the country which I love and where I live. There are twisted stories out there, my friends, that must be called out and rejected. And today it is my deepest prayer that in every worship center of every faith in this country, there is a moment where somebody is standing up and saying, this twisted story has to stop, and it will only stop when the people who are willing to stand up and say it must stop, say so. 
We must stand up to condemn the twisted stories of the ultra-right. And this is not a political stance. It's one of human dignity, justice, and truth. We must openly and diligently condemn stories that instill hate in others, that give people permission to think of others as less thans, or give people permission to try to intimidate or terrorize. We must fight their lies with truth and their demented stories with new hope. As we speak truth, illuminate light, and provide hope. Charlottesville is only but one example but the most recent one of what is at stake if we remain silent. We received an email yesterday from Bishop Bard of the Michigan area of the United Methodist Church. He writes, This week I invited Michigan United Methodists to join in prayer for our United Methodist Church during its season of discernment. The prayer I offered included a prayer for the world. God loves extravagantly in Jesus Christ. The brokenness and woundedness of this world have become painfully evident during the week. Rising tensions between the United States and North Korea raise new concerns about war. Last night and today in Charlottesville, Virginia, virulent racism raised its ugly head as white supremacists marched in that city, resulting in tragic violence and death. Again, I invite us all to prayer and in our praying to deepen our commitment to love, to justice, and to building community for the common good. I think of the words of Jesus, blessed are the peacemakers. I think of the words of W.H. Auden, all I have is a voice. We must love one another or die. Bishop Bard. The stories in our hearts and minds affect how we live today. And if we have need for anything to consider, not far away, In Sylvania, Ohio, it's a stone's throw. Twisted stories, one out over the holy story. That's what is at stake for what we do here today. What are the driving forces and stories in the minds of those who are taking this world to the brink of nuclear holocaust? Something I thought would never be spoken out of my lips ever again. What shapes the thinking of that and the response to it? The stories that we think about and that we claim as our own shape our actions. What story is occupying your heart and mind right now? Nationally, globally, personally? I'm going to invite you to take the next 45 seconds, take your paper and pencil, and jot down the story that is commanding your attention right now in your life, whatever it may be. I'd invite you to write it down. Go right ahead.
Obviously, I'm just inviting you to jot down sort of the title of the story, not the whole story. I just want you to capture it on paper. I want you to own the fact that this story is remunerating to your mind and it's keeping you awake at night or stirring your thoughts or inspiring you or terrorizing you or whatever it's doing. I just want you to place it in front of yourself in writing. And now I want you to set it aside for a second. You've written it down. Just not the paper. Keep the paper by, but just sort of lay the story down. And come back with me to the scripture that we're looking at today. And I want to get everybody up to speed on this scripture. There are three main characters in this scripture. The first is Philip. Now, if you were here two weeks ago when I was sharing the message, you heard about how Philip and others were called to help give new leadership in the church. Their first task was to help feed the widows and orphans, but it grew beyond that, obviously. Stephen went out, and since the last time uh, we picked up this scripture, we haven't read it, but before the passage we're reading today, Stephen goes out and gives witness to the gospel, and he's martyred for his witness. He's one of, the, one of those called. Philip, likewise, is also called to go out and share the story of Jesus. And in the story here, Philip is led by the power of the Holy Spirit to specifically go to an intersection to wait for what he knew not was coming. But Philip's a critical part of the story, is one who tells the story. And then there's the Ethiopian eunuch, much of which could be said about him. First, of course, he was a foreigner, which in the culture of his day, probably no less than the culture of our day, would have immediately put up some wonders, some barriers, some not-quite-let-ins. He was an Ethiopian. He was a eunuch. Another distinction that would have kept him outside of being able to worship in the temple. And yet, from Ethiopia, he had somehow heard the story of God and was inspired to come to the holy city to try to get a sense of who this God was. And he's reading from Isaiah. Why would he be reading from Isaiah? Well, he's reading um, Isaiah 50, I got to remember, 53 in the passage that you see here about the one who suffers. But in Isaiah 56, and I may have that flipped, so check me on that, but I may have that flipped. He probably read these words. In 56, Isaiah 56, Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. He read in God's word that there was a place for him in God's love. No wonder he came to Jerusalem. No wonder he wanted to see about this God who might have a place for him. Even when God's own people weren't quite sure what to do with him. So you have Philip and this Ethiopian who's searching, wanting this relationship with God. And then there's the third character. It is the primary character of the entire book of Acts. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon the people at Pentecost and throughout the rest of Acts moves and directs the actions 
and propels the church to be the church. Philip is guided by the Holy Spirit to go on his journey to the place where he's going to be, where the Ethiopian's going to come down the road and inspires both to meet and begin to talk to each other. None of that would have happened without the Holy Spirit. I want you to not lose sight of that. If we are not calling upon the power of God and the Holy Spirit to be moving in our hearts and lives, we will oftentimes miss the right and left turns we're supposed to take to be in the position of greatest faithfulness. The Ethiopian is reading the Isaiah passage and wondering, who is this one who suffers? Who's being talked about? Philip asks, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So Philip sits down and explains. Philip is willing to take time to share what he knew of Christ. Philip was not a biblical scholar. Do you understand the New Testament wasn't written yet? He wasn't citing, you know, Luke or John or Mark. He was talking about God out of the context of his personal experience of Jesus Christ and applying what he knew about the way that Jesus showed and shared love and explained to this Ethiopian, it is through Jesus that you come to have this story make sense for you. And the Ethiopian listens. And in the storytelling, is led to this act of faith. He looks up and he sees a river, a creek, flowing nearby. And he asks the question, what is to prevent me from being baptized? Well, Of course, the answer is there probably were religious laws that would have prevented it. Denominational doctrine and dogma that said you can't do that. Those who were real clear about their personal opinions that one like him shouldn't be baptized and Philip shouldn't be the one baptizing. You know, we have rules about such things. You've got to control how God's love is shared. Unless you're telling the story, of course. The story of Jesus, whose extravagant love was so extreme that they don't even know how to talk about it adequately in the Gospels. He continues to break barriers and to reach out to people who don't, in the minds of the religious, deserve to be brought in. And in the storytelling and the living of his faith as Jesus did it, people found hope and emancipation and futures because his love was that generous, that radical. So there were those who could have said, well, here are the reasons you can't be baptized. Here are the reasons you can't be allowed in. We got a whole list of them. But he didn't ask those people. He asked Philip, who was just talking out of the story of Jesus. You know what there is to prevent you from being baptized? You know what there is to keep you out of the bounds of grace and apart from God? Nothing. There is nothing that can prevent God's work as long as we listen to the story of Jesus, as long as we're willing to share the story of Jesus, as long as we're willing to live into the power of the Holy Spirit to be ready to tell the story of Christ. Nothing. Not fear, not hate, 
not lies, nothing. What stories occupy in your heart and mind today? What fears reside within? What turmoil churns inside? This is a week that we've come to know in the past where the stories that CNN and Fox and whatever throw at us will demand the way we begin to twist our understanding of reality and our possibilities for the future. And I stand before you today as one simple man to ask you to consider another story. It is the story of Jesus. And that in this world right now, there need to be radical storytellers of Jesus in every place in the world. And if you think it doesn't matter that in Clarkston you aren't telling the story, guess what? I wish somebody had been telling the story in Sylvania, Toledo, near, near Toledo over the last 20 years. And we've got young men and young women growing up in this community. I want to make sure they hear the story so strong, there's no way they would ever listen to somebody talk about someone as less than and think that any of it is true. The story needs to be told. So let me ask you this. Let me invite you to do this. What is your story of faith? What do you know that you can tell someone others, some others about what you believe, what you know of Jesus, where Jesus has touched you and changed you? I'm not talking about quoting scripture. That has no meaning to anybody. I'm talking about explaining and sharing what you know of Jesus. And do you know Jesus perfectly? No, you do not. Neither do I. But tell what you know, and tell what you know, and tell what you know, because you know something. And if we all tell something, then we will complete the understanding of others and invite them to learn their own story. In your bulletin right now, I'm simply going to ask you to write down this assignment so you won't forget it. This week, I challenge you to write down what you would share in three minutes that's the most important thing you could tell someone about the love of Christ how it has touched you, what it means to you. If you could do that this week, if you could become so clear about the story of Jesus that matters the most to you, that changed your life, that could be what you could offer to someone else if asked, then you know what you're doing You're inviting the Holy Spirit to make possible what you think might not happen. And at least you're being made ready if someone were to ask, can you explain it to me? When Helen Keller, and I realize that's a dated reference, Helen Keller was someone born in the early part of the last century, and she was born blind and deaf. Uh, She had no ability to understand external realities until she was finally nurtured and finally taught how to talk using hand signs and became a brilliant leader, 
well, just a brilliant leader in our country in her adult life. But as she learned how to communicate, I don't know who, but somebody at some point began to tell her about the story of Jesus. She listened and she received the story of Jesus. And she said this, after living her life in silence and in darkness, having only her thoughts to consider, she said, I knew there had to be somebody like that. Well, there is. And his name is Jesus Christ. And I know because someone else told me. A whole lot of people have told me the story. They've told me what Jesus did and what he said. They told me what difference he made in their life. They told me by their words. They told me by their actions. They told me by their encouragement. And because they told me, I now stand up here today to tell you the story makes a difference. And in this world where there are a lot of lousy stories out there being told, do not discount the need for you to be ready to tell the real story of faith. Because if we don't, lies will win out and people will die. It's that simple. And if we're not going to be the ones to do it, then who will? I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know tis true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and 